Colm Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime Podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over, the NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Road of His NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Or go to rotaviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is a September 23rd episode, and each and every week we are dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rand. And today we have one of the true rising stars in the industry, Kyle Dvorak from NBC Edge Fantasy Football. Kyle is someone I've worked with on multiple sites, and it's been a pleasure to watch the growth as he is now at NBC Sports bringing his takes, killing it for all those who need fantasy advice. Follow him on Twitter at Kyle Tweets here. Kyle, it is a pleasure, my friend, to have you on the mailbag. Yeah, it's been, oh man, it's been a few years since I've been on the road of his radio, but this is uh, uh, where it all started for me. It was here in Player Profiler four or five years ago. I don't really remember anymore. But this was, uh, you know, the, the road of his airwaves were the first time I ever actually got on any podcasting. And I was like, please, please do not ever try and find these tapes like we need to delete them as if they're the Nixon tapes because I'm sure they are just god awful Kyle you're talking to someone whose first fantasy football article five years ago is why Ezekiel Elliott would be a terrible selection at the beginning of the draft and I was simply doing that for 2021 it only only took a few years and there you go (laughs) right now it's totally Pollard's season listen man it's been a pleasure like I said to watch you grow you are a grinder you do fantastic work work ethic is second to none and now you're killing at NBC edge how's it going let us know all the great things you're involved with over there yeah oh man uh, a lot of stuff going on uh, if you want to you know if you are so obliged you can check out all the stuff we have going on our season-long rankings are awesome season-long tools that help you manage you know for like for people listening to the road of his radio I assume you are not just in your one home league uh, you know anybody listening to this type of show as myself, and I try and cut back every year. You know, I think everyone says this. I'm cutting back to three leagues this year. Yep. And then 10 people yep. ask you to join here and 10 more. We have some awesome tools that help you manage all those things, helps you import data from all of your leagues. So if you are so obliged, you can check out, uh, you know, our premium subscription using the promo code KYLE10. I think it gets you 10% off. Uh, that's what I've been told. So check that out. But <laughs> tons of content going on. Premium Dynasty content I have, uh, DFS content. I work, uh, you know, all week long trying to adjust our season long rankings plus my own weekly rankings. So plenty of stuff going there. Plenty of free stuff if you if you don't want to sub. But if you do, if you want the extra juice, Kyle 10 is how you get it. And I would be remiss, sir, if I didn't mention that once we're done here, if you have any interest in DFS baseball, you should also go to Kyle, who had himself quite a score the other night, Kyle, for what I can tell, 200K, which is a certainly nice little chunk of change, man, on DFS. Uh, yeah, don't follow me for baseball takes. I I didn't know a single one of the the players in my lineup. Uh Apparently, I had some Cleveland players with, I think, an Oakland second stack. And then uh, 
one of the good Milwaukee pitchers. Two of them always come up as uh, as mm-hmm. Corbin Burns and someone else. I don't remember the other guy, <laughs> but uh, you know, so I think funny. I think the it, it's not. Well, I, I was going to say it's not that I got lucky. It is true that I got very lucky. Just to, even if you have a small edge coming in, what I think it was second out of eleven hundred people is incredibly lucky. Even if you have a large edge, uh, but I think it does go to a testament of like a, you know DFS is simply a game of numbers on spreadsheets. And, uh, you know, knowing about football certainly helps, but you don't need to, as I've shown with baseball, which I, I, I don't even like baseball, like truly uh, not a sport that I find in any way entertaining. I agree with you. But listen, a win is a win. And now let's get into your wheelhouse here. So we're two weeks in, Kyle. So we've gotten through the knee jerk reaction of week two. So now it's safe to knee jerk react and to panic, right? Because it's only one game more. I'm curious. Give me the player that you were most right about in the preseason who you go, you know what? He's looking good. And I think I was, I was right on that one. And the one that maybe you're a little concerned about and said, I guess I was overrated on that. Uh, so, well, he said most right about in the preseason. Uh, I, I took that to mean my take was correct. You said looked good in the preseason. That part of this wasn't true because I have Jamar Chase. And I was right about the fact that the preseason did not matter. Uh, you know, yep. the, the yep. final drive of Jamar Chase's preseason was a three and out by the Bengals in which I believe he dropped the screen pass, but I know he recorded what is like fourth drop or something after having for by all accounts, the entire Bengals offense, a bad training camp where they just looked discombobulated. And uh, for the most part, I said like, ah, I don't know who cares. Joe Burrow was a good prospect. T. Higgins was good as a rookie. Jamar Chase is the best prospect, truly. Like, the best prospect since probably Calvin Johnson. Maybe you could argue Amari Cooper is in that same tier, but just another level of wide receiver now is, like, preseason, uh, for this for this case, he was out there with the first team. That's all, you know, if he, if, if Auden Tate was playing ahead of him, that would have been where I said adjust the ranks. Outside of that, I just didn't care about the drops. And, uh, you know, perfect worked out. It seems to have worked out well. He looks just about as talented as expected. Now we just need these dang bangles to actually start throwing more. Like their, their week one, they almost threw like not at all. They were running an incredible amount. It's come, it's working in the right direction as of week two, but we still need to see it more. So for me, Jamar Chase, it, it was, my take was right in the preseason. My take was that his bad performance set didn't actually matter. It, and so yeah, far, and, you know, only two weeks, but. And, and I agree. And Kyle, look. We don't have to worry about multiple running backs being an issue as Joe Mixon had each and every one of their rushing attempts against Chicago. So it's certainly a streamlined situation. And this week, they're playing a Pittsburgh team that is struggling in the secondary. Henry Ruggs running down the field like Hussein Boat all over the place. So Chase is connected on those big plays. It's almost like it's been in the same area, too, down the right sideline. So, yeah, I, Jamar Chase, you blocked out the noise. He, the whole thing with the he can't catch the football because there's no white lines on it. I don't know where that even came from. But which is uh, the player that you're a little concerned about right now that, that you may have been wrong about? Uh, yeah, another one where, uh, you know, I wasn't weighing much of, of preseason heavily. It was just overall the uh, the offseason for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire looked about as good as you can get. They move on from Damian Williams. They just keep Daryl. They signed Jarek McKinnon, whose like knees have just completely given out on him. To me, that was that was all I needed to see. Oh, it's uh, it's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire exactly as we thought it would be last season where you're like, oh, he is the Chiefs number one running back. He can catch passes. He'll get goal line work. Uh, you know, let's just fire up the the money, the money printer and watch it go. Brr. And, uh, you know, it turns out I don't know if he's actually that good. And I don't know if it matters for the Chiefs. Like you can just have a bad running back and still be Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And that's perfectly fine. So I don't know. Maybe it's it's only two weeks. Like I said, I can't weigh in too much. But who knows? Maybe maybe the the late breakout who could have been the product of an incredible offense in college and was overhyped ahead of Jonathan Taylor. Maybe that guy's just not that good. I don't know. 
it could have been that we overvalued, first of all, draft capital. I mean, we picked the last pick For in the sure. first round. And also because he really only had one year of yes. solid production. His sophomore year was okay, but really it was his junior year with LSU. And, and maybe we overvalued it because I would think Darrell Williams is now taking all the goal line t- touches in, in, in close work. So Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as a second round pick is, is not going to do much if he's not getting some of those scoring opportunities. Yeah, like you said, I don't like he wasn't like a, I didn't think he was a particularly good prospect. People who watch film thought he actually had the, the chops to be the, the number one running back in the class. I, like I every all the data you looked at said like there was just no way that he like he, he's not like you said, he was a, a late breakout, which breakout isn't as important for uh, for running backs. But I still think it matters to be good relative to your peers at like an age adjusted level. And he wasn't that until his, you know, his final year. And he was not particularly big or athletic coming out of college. It was really that he caught passes and that he was going to play alongside Patrick Holmes and that they spent draft capital on him. Uh, Yeah. Now he's not playing as much alongside Patrick Holmes, especially with those money touches. Uh, He clearly just, I I don't think he's that good of a running back and his college profile, like you said, uh, didn't indicate that he was a great running back. It was probably he was like the fourth or fifth best running back in his class. And uh, I don't know, maybe that's starting to come through now. He's he's a player who I have a lot of and it's, uh, you know, it's becoming a concern. I definitely think like this is a scenario where like the, all of the data for the past few years has pointed to not taking like he's probably the start of the dead zone. Like he was going that two, three turn. And every year there's like one or two running backs where I'm like, I know all of the data says you can just fade guys in this range. But me, I know better than the spreadsheets. I'm going to pick out one guy that I think can break the trend. And it turns out like you're probably just losing, uh, losing EB by doing that. Last year, it was, I was James Conner. I was like, oh man, James Conner, you're going to get Ben Roethlisberger back. James Conner going to get all the touches and I'm just going to print money. I don't know. Maybe it's like uh, if we have this large, robust sample of running backs in his range underperforming, don't try and beat that data just because you think you know better. You know, this is not an I know better situation. And uh, I treated it as such and I'm being punished for it uh, with all of my Clyde Hilaire shares that are just falling to dust. Kyle, the most questions I got this week for the mailbag surrounded the NFC North. So I'm just going to ask you, what do you think about this division and the teams? All four of the teams have given up more points than they've scored. All four have net point totals. The Packers get destroyed by the Saints, look horrific. A Saints team that then gets destroyed by Carolina, and they didn't play well for most of the game yesterday, but they came back in the second half. They earned the win and the cover, Kyle, but we don't talk about that here. Uh, Then the the Bears, the Bears are one and one. They come back. They have quarterback issues. You know, Dalton went out. Fields came in, wasn't really ready. But they did play the Rams in, in week one on the road, so that's an understandable loss. And they do want to win their one and one. They're tied for the lead. Minnesota, who I loved coming into the preseason and I still think is the best overall team in the division, loses a close game that they tied late to Cincinnati and a horrific loss to Arizona because, of course, they don't have a kicker. And then the Lions, who had the most difficult schedule to start, playing at home against a good Niners team and then on the road at Green Bay, played very well late in the first and for most of the game in the second, but they're 0-2. So just talk about who you think the favorite is and who do you think the best team is in the NFC North. Yeah, I mean, the Packers are the favorite. Uh, you know, I don't know if we're dropping sportsbook numbers, but I saw them somewhere like minus 250, 225, something like that. Uh, it seems about right. I do think it's interesting that the Lions are like, they're given like a 2%, uh, like a 2.5% probability to win. Are they really that much worse than than Chicago, given their complete, uh, complete commitment to Andy Dalton? I don't think the Lions 
are TJ Hawkinson certainly isn't. He's, he's been very fantastic. good. DeAndre Swift is very good. Jared Goff, who's been competent his whole career, not good. He's been good at times, but at least competent. Looks good slash competent again. I, like they have a middling to maybe a little above average quarterback play. Great tight end play. Great running back play. The receiver play. You know, let's not talk about that too much. The defense, it's not great. But this isn't a great division. You don't need to have the best of everything to compete against Andy Dalton or whatever. So I think. I mean, if I think if you run the simulation a million times, the Lions at like incredible long shot odds are probably a little undervalued and maybe the Packers are slightly overvalued. I think this division is just more compressed because all of the teams look incredibly flawed in some ways. The Packers, obviously, their defense just getting shredded week in and week out, not looking the same as it has in previous years. Uh, Andy Dalton is the starting quarterback for one of these teams. And uh, I don't know, the Vikings are just, uh, they're they're turning into the Chargers from a few years ago where the Chargers just like found ways to lose on field goals every single week. But they're like, they could be 2-0. It wouldn't have surprised anyone if they came out and I don't know, maybe hit a short field goal or maybe didn't fumble in overtime where they were just about to approach field goal range. So I think this division is probably just more compressed than people give it credit for. They're going to see the Packers out. Well, they, they rebounded. They're just the Packers. But like you said, like, they're, you know, they're a, a negative point differential. They're not the Packers of the previous years, I don't believe. I still think they're the best team, uh, but I wouldn't like, I wouldn't find value like betting on them to win the division or anything. The key with the Packers is always get there with four. So you can cover the receivers and put pressure on Rodgers. Their defense, Green Bay, is horrific. I thought it was terrible last night. They could not stop Hawkinson. The Lions have no sort of receivers whatsoever. I think it's a concern for me, and I do think it's wide open. But, of course, having Aaron Rodgers over, let's say, Andy Dalton and Jared Goff is certainly an advantage. And the Vikings got to get their secondary together. I think I saw Kyle PFF. They have the three of the bottom 15 cornerback uh, ratings in the, of the NFL. I mean, the Vikings defense has got to be better than this. Uh, they, if they want to win games, they have to be, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to be a team that, uh, for, for DFS and for fantasy is sick because they're just going to be forced to play in these really exciting shootouts all year. But, uh, for their actual, like, if you're trying to bet their, you know, their money line every week, you may end up being disappointed often. I, like they didn't really do much to address their secondary in the off season, at right, least not enough, right. given how much like five years ago, they were one of the premier secondaries and it's just completely fallen apart. Certainly didn't do enough to address it this off season. And that's showing it's just clear that they needed to spend like they needed to find multiple first round picks to spend on on their secondary and, and they, you know they couldn't manage that so i do think this is a team that it's like every team in this division they're flawed in many ways uh except for them they don't have the benefit of falling back on aaron Rodgers, and they don't have the benefit of people completely discounting the lions as having any remote possibility they're being priced you know i, I think maybe maybe a little uh a little in the in the fair range but i think there's actually some like in a million simulations, some value on that Lions team, uh, you know, maybe to win the division or just to be a better team than people expect because they, they look okay through two weeks. Not bad, not not great, but at least better than, you know, they were a, an 0-17 candidate, you know, candidate to be the first 0-17 team. And they're not that bad, I guess. Tell me about your best ball targets. I'm always curious with a late round guy that you think is paying off. Last year for me, it was MBS. Because I thought he was the quintessential 28th pick in FFPC leagues, a guy who can get you a couple of usable weeks, and he certainly did. And this year, I'm going to tell you who it is. It's Teddy Bridgewater. I thought whoever was the quarterback in this Denver offense could absolutely have functionality as a quarterback in a best ball league. And I took Teddy and I took Drew Locke. Why? Because both of them were available very, very late. And that's what I took. So who's a best ball guy that's late that you absolutely feel, you know what, is headed in the right direction? 
Yeah, I had a lot of builds that would lead me to that like really uh really crappy third quarterback because I just wasn't uh you know the the traditional standard is you don't pay that third round pick price for quarterbacks. So I was just going with three bad ones and that was uh that was it. And so Teddy Bridgewater would have been like that typical guy. Should have stacked him with Tim Patrick. I had some Teddy Bridgewater. I like last year, Tim Patrick had like 300 yard games. No one even seems to notice. He's like a very, I think he's a very solid number three receiver. And I just wasn't drafting him because I didn't think he had any chance to even crack hardly like the top four on the team in targets. The dude's just good and he draws targets. That is uh, like you ask who players I have. I don't have any Tim Patrick. I think that's elite because he's like, he's just good, dude. Tim Patrick is just, uh, just good. And we're seeing that already. For me, it was too. Uh, too late. It's the, the same type of thing. It's too late uh, quarterbacks, and you were able to stack them, which is why I found it so appealing to get them. One of them that I'm happy with the results so far was Daniel Jones and Darius sure. Slayton. You could also get like yes. a little bit of Sterling Shepard in there. Wish I had had more Sterling Shepard instead of Darius Slayton, but it was usually just the the ripcord of like, oh, I have uh, you know Tua and Baker or someone. We can't enter the season with just these two guys in best ball. I need the third Daniel Jones with all his rushing upside. Perfect. That's exactly the type of quarterback you're looking for. And Darius Slayton, over 50 yards in back-to-back weeks, touchdown, perfectly fine. I think he'll pay off at his price. The second one, though, it's the exact same philosophy of just trying to find a, a, typically a third quarterback. That's how my builds ended up you know, being three middle-to-cheap quarterbacks, and then trying to stack them with a good backdoor option. And uh, that was Zach Wilson and James Crowder. You know, you take the good with the bad. That was, uh, I'm happy with the Slayton, Daniel Jones stacks. I think those look very good right now for the price you had to pay for them. Uh, I, not so much for the Zach Wilson, James Crowder uh, ones, but you know that's that's the point of, a, of an 18th round pick is that all, if you if you're hitting on you know half your quarterbacks in the 18th round, you'd absolutely love that. Like you know, it'd be ecstatic to hit on half. You're hitting on like what two percent of these type of guys. So I'll take I'll take that 50-50 split between these two stacks. Where those were my primary uh, you know punt type of stacks. And you have the leverage to miss because you're not investing that much value. Yeah. Sir, favorite type of morning juice, cranberry, orange, grapefruit, or pineapple? Yeah, so uh, I'm not uh, not like a huge morning juice. I just slam like 60 ounces of coffee or something. Yes. But yeah. in the fridge right now, do have orange juice, although I, that might end up being just a product of, I would imagine at some point in maybe the 80s, the orange juice industry planted too many trees and they're like, we need to start marketing ourselves as anything. We just need to come out of here come out of the gate swinging in 1980 and 85 and say, we're the breakfast food or we're the breakfast drink. And uh, that's, it's in my mind that it's the breakfast drink, even though there's no real reason for that to be the case. Uh, because it's like, I think this happened with uh, like Mahi Mahi, the fish it was originally called dolphin fish and no one would eat it because they thought they were eating dolphins. And they're like, we just need to rebrand this as something cool and Pacific sounding. And now it's like the premier uh, like West Coast style of fish. Uh, I think orange juice probably just did that to me at some point or did that to my parents at some point where they just marketed themselves as a thing they wanted to be. And we're all like, yeah, that makes sense. So it's orange juice, but I think I'm just, uh, I'm being kind of a patsy for them. You know, Eric Moody came on and gave us the rationale behind salt on the rim of a margarita. And you just gave us the in-depth analyzation of Mahi Mahi. I mean, th- this, if folks, the, the road of his mailbag, we cover all topics here mm-hmm. and we try to make you smarter. And that, that's a fantastic answer. Uh, let's do rapid fire, Kyle. Panic or no panic? I'm going to list a player. You tell me, you know, this could be a problem or no, don't worry. He's going to be fine. Zach Wilson. Now, listen, no one's starting him in seasonal leagues, but you could have him in two QB leagues and you certainly could have him in uh, dynasty. Thoughts on Zach Wilson? Panic, no panic. Uh, yeah, for if you were taking like my my uh, best ball, Zach Wilson, I, I, low key panic. He looks not good. The Jets 
offense doesn't look good. It, it looks like he's lacking the the requisite talent around him to be a successful fantasy player. But in Dynasty, no, it's, it's just a, such a small sample. When we have a reasonable sample of him looking like a very good quarterback in college, and then we have the data that he was, you know, the, the number two pick. That is a very strong indicator of his talent. But for his rookie season, it doesn't look great. Next up, Brandon Ayuk. I mean, look, Kyle, uh, Brandon Ayuk had a great year last year, and I would not say there was a bevy of information on social media that he was somehow in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse, but that certainly looks like it is. Debo Samuel is all over the place right now, is essentially the wide receiver one. Is Ayuk going to get going here for the 49ers? He probably, but Debo's big lead to start the year makes me think that I really thought Ayuk had this chance to be an alpha receiver, to be his yes, team's number one, yes. operate you know farther down the field than Debo as this outside stud receiver. And uh, through two weeks, that doesn't look to be the case. Last week, he did outsnap Trent Sherfield about two to one ratio, Thank but he didn't God. see targets. But he didn't see targets. You still have to get targets, right? It's like yeah. Curtis Samuel from a few years ago when he plays all of the snaps, he's a bunch of air yards and doesn't convert on any of them. Ayuk at some point is going to need to draw targets. It looks like now he's probably at a ceiling outcome, the third receiver on his team. So I guess that's kind of a panic situation. Uh, he was injured for most of the, the year, a certain part of the year, rather. But week 8, 10, 13, 14, and 15 last year for Ayuk, PPR wide receiver 6, 14, 13, 10, and 6. For those counting, that's three overall wide receiver one performances and two that are on the fringe. So he certainly needs to get going. But a very concerning there, it just hasn't clicked. The Cooper Cup has taken off, and that would be one of my most exposed targets in best ball. Robert Woods, are we going to have the Robert Wood, Woods game soon, or, or you think it's going to be Cup as the clear alpha with the Rams? I, I always thought it was Cup as maybe not the, the not this extent. No, you know, if you predicted this, I, I just don't believe you. Uh, but I did think that you should be taking Cooper Cup over Robert Woods because they really? always had similar volume numbers, except Cooper Cup was just a dominant red zone weapon. I do think at some point, though, Robert Woods at least enters the fray after having you know, a pretty disappointing start to the season. 24% target share, 26% air yard share, both very good numbers for at least you know usable numbers for a receiver who's going to be playing under the combination of Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay. So I think he comes uh, back into the picture a little more. But no, this I think it looks like it'll continue to be the Cooper Cup show. Robert Woods just improves from this kind of uh, bland start. Somebody has to catch the ball in Cleveland. This past week against the Texans, their leading receiver was Demetric Felton, their running back. Odell Beckham should be back this week from what I'm hearing. He's been slow to return from the injury, the surgery. Uh, what do you think about Odell Beckham? Is he going to actually be fantasy relevant or is this passing game just not doesn't have enough volume to support Beckham as a legit, I don't know, wide receiver two option? Yeah, this is a weird one because not only do you have to factor in, uh, you know, just the overall context, of the offense, they have a good defense, they have a good running game. It should it should look like a, a not awfully interesting passing attack. But then just like this, uh, you know, just the weirdness with the Odell Beckham, he's like this Michael Thomas figure where now I'm just like, I get it. He's He has been very good in the past. But what do we do with this guy who's now, you know, he's like been at odds with his team at times since joining Cleveland. Now he's dealing with, uh, you know, a, a very lingering injury, which is always concerning. I think he'll be relevant, but can you even trust him as a wide receiver too? I would say probably not, given the given the injury and just the context of the offense. He was at his ceiling probably a, a high-end wide receiver too if this offense went nuclear. It looks more of the same from last year, which is very good. It's successful for the NFL, but it's not this enticing fantasy offense. So wide receiver two even seems optimistic. 
I don't know if Emmanuel Sanders was drafted early enough to say it's a panic, no panic yeah. situation, but he had a 93% snap share in week one, a 77% snap share in week two when they blew out the Dolphins. Someone has to have fantasy value in this offense. Everyone talked about the Bills and Josh Allen and the passing attack and everybody says Stefan Diggs and then it just stops. I thought it's going to be Sanders. Gabe Davis had the touchdown last week. But is is this really Cole Beasley? Is that is he the second receiving option, or or is Emmanuel Sanders going to get going here? I mean, Cole Beasley's probably second on the team in targets. Uh, you know, it looks like that through two weeks. But Sanders has thirty three percent of the team's area. It's an incredibly high number for uh, someone who probably is his team's third, uh, you know, receiving option. So I think the question is not is Sanders going to get going? Is Josh Allen going to get going? He's completely fallen off the face of the earth in terms of his deep passing relative to last year. He looks like he did as you know in his first you know few years in the NFL. So. I think really the the question isn't is Sanders going to get going because he has the volume, you know, the gas is in the engine. It's just can Josh Allen turn the key? So to me, it's a Josh Allen question. I think Josh Allen is at least better than he has played through two weeks. Do I think he is as good as we saw last year? No, last year probably was an outlier performance. Like when Isaiah McKenzie is able to score five touchdowns on 30 targets, you've probably exceeded expectations. I think he should come back to earth from that. But do I think he should look like a like a poor passer because he has through two weeks for the most part. No, I still think he's a very talented player. I think Sanders bounces back given the role and the positive regression I expect to see from Josh Allen. He's probably still good. Pittsburgh, Ben Roethlisberger, thoughts? He's probably old and washed and not very good. And we just saw earlier today, he's dealing with some uh, like a arm injury or something, which isn't surprising uh, given yeah, how- Yeah, peck injury. Yep. Peck injury. Yeah, peck injury. So given how old and banged up he's always been, it uh, feels like he's always been old. He's always played like this old school style of just like rough him up. And now he's not physically able to do that. Uh, nah, it doesn't look great for, for the guy. Probably time to you know put him in his coffin and send him out of the NFL. My only concern is if TJ Watt is out for an extended period of time with a groin injury, their secondary looks horrific, which means they're going to have to score points. In theory, Kyle, there should be fantasy value here. You know, late in the year, there's always that Ben five touchdown game. The receivers are solid. Juju's always on the field. Deontay's making catches. I feel like if he can get going, there should be some value because they may have to score to keep up right now. I, I they should try and score, but we saw versus the Raiders like scoring is just going to be difficult when your offensive yeah. line is terrible, your quarterback's arm is shot, your team is using Juju as if he's James White. Like I, I think they are a team that you know if their defense comes back to earth, which already last year was like above expectations. Just defense isn't very stable, and now they have all of these injuries. You know they lost an interior defensive lineman Tyson Alulu. They've lost Joe Hayden last week. I don't know what his status yep. is for this week. TJ Watt, as you said, maybe plays this week, but maybe not. Is he at a hundred percent? Seems very unlikely. So their defense should be worse, but. That doesn't necessarily mean Ben Rolls probably better. I think the only sense of optimism you can get is that they could just play like they did last year, which is mm -hmm. to throw the ball a lot and not be particularly efficient at doing so. But the simple fact of having that level of volume works out okay, but it's not going to be great. You know, Juju has like a four a dot again or something. I mean, it's a it's a tough scene. He should just why didn't he sign with Kansas City? Why did you have to do this to us? Yep. Who's the rookie you have your eye on? Me, it's Diame Brown. 93% snap share week one, 87% week two. There's an adjustment with Heineke. I do think Fitzpatrick will be back. He started making some nice catches against the Giants. Who's the receiver here you have your eye on that you think can pop second half of the year? 
Yeah, I think I saw somewhere that uh, I assume it was a PFF, maybe like Ian Hart. It's that Heineke uh, like both leads the league in rate of big time throws or whatever they call them uh, and turnover worthy plays. Like he's just hyper James wow. Winston when he throws the ball. It's perfect for for Diami, for Terry McLaurin. James Winston is at least was like the ultimate fantasy quarterback for me. I'll go with Terrace Marshall. I feel like the the obvious ones are obvious. Yeah. Like I think this Rondale Moore guy looks kind of good. It feels like it'd be a little too basic to come on and say. Yeah. Yeah. Terrace Marshall only playing about half the snaps so far, but even on that limited role, tied Robbie Anderson targets and he has two red zone looks that leads all of their receivers in red zone looks. If he continues to push for more snaps, I think he could just, you know, push past Robbie Anderson, given he's already kind of running even with him. Uh, he also just needs to up his eight out, though. They're using Robbie Anderson as typical Robbie Anderson. They're using Terrace Marshall as kind of just a, a bland Jarvis Landry type. But I think with more opportunities comes the the possibility for just a more involved route tree, you know, better deep routes, better red zone looks. So I think Terrace Marshall may be not producing for you next week, the week after that. But by week nine, if he's outscoring Robbie Anderson, just don't be surprised. Solve the Rubik's Cube that is the San Francisco backfield. We are big zero RB, anchor RB people here at Rotoviz, of course. And the answer to that question may be San Francisco. I just don't know who the running back is. Who is the answer for the Niners? And is it Jeff Wilson who should be off IR soon? Yeah, uh, Jeff Wilson wouldn't. It would like he's the most obvious, like shows up after not playing for a few weeks and just gets 20 carries and four red zone looks. I mean, that's literally his MO with the team is that they will healthy scratch him in certain weeks and then come back and give him the goal line goal line reps the next week. Uh, there was, I think it was versus the the uh, Patriots last season where it was supposed to be a big Jarek McKinnon game, right? And then they come out and almost healthy scratch McKinnon. Like he just hardly doesn't play. He's active, but almost plays yeah. an emergency role. And Jeff Wilson absolutely crushes in that game, scores multiple times. And that's what they do with Jeff Wilson. They win he's active, which isn't always the case they use him like almost a bell cow and they certainly like he leads the team in goal line rushes and red zone carries whenever he is active so wouldn't surprise me if Jeff Wilson comes back and has a pretty significant role given all the injuries they're dealing with Elijah Mitchell they called him I believe day to day and uh, he's like their only I don't know he's not healthy but he's outside of Trenton Cannon he's the only guy they have and they were comfortable giving him 19 carries in the first week 17 in the second week he also came back from the injury I believe it was a shoulder on a goal line carry that ended up uh touchdown then called back he came back for like a final carry or two so he looks like he should play until Jeff Wilson comes back I think it's Elijah Mitchell you could probably stash Trenton Cannon though he's super fast if nothing else who is the best wide receiver target for the Raiders I am still in Camp Brian Edwards, and I will stay there. I have the funny overbet on his receiving yardage in game in a week one hit, but it hit like at the 59-30 mark, and then in overtime, Henry Ruggs, of course, been very impressive against the Steelers. Hunter Renfro has been the most reliable, is catching those seam passes. Who's the receiver? We know it's Darren Waller, tight end. Who's the receiver to own here in Vegas? So in terms of talent, I would probably rank Brian Edwards first. I didn't think Henry Ruggs looked like, I don't know, he just looked like a typical third receiver fast guy, like like super Marvin Hall coming out of college. Uh, you know, I don't mean to disparage yes. the guy. Uh, I like Marvin Hall. Marvin Hall is a good option yeah. to have on the outside. He looked like a pumped up version of that, not a team's wide receiver one, which is why I thought it was so surprising that they took him with the capital to suggest that. Brian mm -hmm. Edwards looked like he could be that dominant target hog because that's what he was in college. You know, incredible age-adjusted metrics uh, against SEC competition, a very good player. I think he's the most talented. I think he's the most capable of taking on the wide receiver one role. But until they give it to him, I like I would continue. If you just ask me straight up, who do I think scores more points next week, the week after that, the week after that, 
I guess it's Hunter Renfro. It's disappointingly, you have to be betting on Hunter Renfro in the the near term. In the long term, you know, maybe you're trying to trade for some cheap Brian Edwards in Dynasty. But you know, if you're if you're giving me even odds on who scores more fantasy points next week in a PPR league, the team is telling me Hunter Renfro, and I'm not going to disagree with their usage. What's your favorite video game when you were growing up? Uh, I played a lot of uh, a lot of Super Smash Bros. growing up, and then going to college, uh, you know, a bunch of the kids on my floor were into the competitive scene, so I got into that for a while. It's been it's been some time since I actually like went out to anything, but I did go to even like uh, go to like locals and play in small tournaments uh, for a few months. But it's been been some time. Absolutely, that's the guilty pleasure. Like I was in a quarter bouncers tournament when I was in college. I mean, we all we all find those things that are a stress relief, whatever it takes. This next question has legs. It started at the beginning of the year. Think of one of the players that you planted a flag for. Think of one of the guys that you said, this is my guy this year. And maybe it's gotten off to a good start. Maybe it hasn't. But make the case as to, you know what, if I was wrong, here's why I'm wrong and here's what's going to happen. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, it's it's a road of this show. We were all very excited to see Lavisca Chenault paired up with Trevor oh, Lawrence. It was gonna be, uh, it was gonna be fun, man. It was gonna be a great time. And then uh, I'm not willing to blame Lavisca for his poor performances yet. I am going to continue dependent on his miserable usage among players with 15 targets. He has the lowest A dot outside of I think DeAndre Swift, who obviously is a running back. That's going to happen. But even including the tight ends, the lowest A dot for at least 15 targets, fewest receiving yards for 15 targets. Uh, he's not, I think he could be used as a team's number one receiver who can move into the slot, who can move outside, who has the physical, like he's just physically a dominant looking player. He can play running back. That's how gifted he is i think he could just body guys on the outside or in the slot and have an a dot of you know eight or nine and take a team's targets like like no other receiver Urban Meyer doesn't seem to care like he doesn't seem to see that from lavisca chenault he's using him like a essentially a gadget player if that's the case i'm not willing to concede on lavisca chenault's talent but i am totally willing to concede that if the team's going to use him that way he's not going to be particularly fantasy relevant he is not a super fast guy. 6'1", 227, he runs a 4'5", So if you're going to try to rely on him for yards after catch, it's not going to happen. Kyle, tell me how someone gets seven targets like he did last week and have negative three receiving yards. It's almost impossible uh, for that to happen. But he's a talented guy. He's I call him the aggressive slot. But you have to get him out a little bit away because he's not going to run away from people like a rugs will. So you have to put him in better situations. Had the nine targets in week one, seven targets in week two. Did have seven catches in the first week, but negative three receiving yards and seven targets. Baffling stat for Visca. Yeah, not the best yards per target. I'd have to look up, uh, you know, some good yards per target stats. But me, I don't see negative yards per target as being particularly uh, even close to average. So. Yeah, I mean, negative three yards. Come on. That's just like, that's so bad. That's incredibly bad. Uh, that's something you can't even get with like James White. James White will somehow leak out and get you five yards on one of his catches. And LaVisca goes for negative yards. Just like a complete uh, complete indictment of how he's being used. I still think he's talented. You'll just never get me to admit that he's not incredibly talented. Not just good, really good. But if you get used like this, it, it won't matter. And James White is clearly this year's James White. Yeah. Kyle, if you were on Fear Factor, what's the one thing that would cause you to say, no way, I'm out of here? The entire show. Fear Factor seems like something broke <laughs> kids in college do. Uh, you know, they would be like, all right, welcome to Fear Factor. Our first contestant is Kyle. And I'd be like, I'm in the wrong room. I, I had a dentist appointment. I must have stepped into the mm -hmm. wrong room. I like, I really can't, uh, you know, <laughs> like, I'm not like terrified of like, 
the the stunts they do or whatever, you know, the heights type of stuff. They do some swimming stuff. I'm afraid of drowning. I'm like terrified of drowning. I would never do any water-based activities. I guess if you're all harnessed up, you get me to do the heights. I'd be fine with eating gross things, but just like, why would you? You know, you couldn't pay me to do any of this stuff. You, you know, I I made right. I made my bag in DFS. You couldn't pay me a hundred thousand dollars. You couldn't pay me another GPP win to like sure. eat, uh, you know, like cow, like you know, a cow's intestines that have been left out in the sun for two months or whatever. Yes, that's not fun. No, of course not. Let's go to a more pleasant topic: DFS time. So take me around the league here. Give me a player like at each position. We'll start a quarterback. Jim Sonis came on from FanDuel, brought us an interesting stat that. Over 25% of the Millie Maker quarterbacks come from players that are slight underdogs on the road. Uh, that typically when your team quarterback goes on the road, they're going to say, oh, I'll take the home guy. I'll take the home quarterback in those situations. And it proved true again last week. Kirk Cousins obviously was, was excellent. Thoughts on quarterback DFS this week? Yeah, I still think I, I looked at DraftKings pricing, but this just feels like the a truism across, uh, across all formats whether you're playing on you know yahoo super draft whatever like weird site you can find uh like until they price kyler murray as if he is like easily the best fantasy option i'm gonna keep going back to him especially his ancillary pieces are not that expensive we can talk about them a bit but unless you're stacking with deandre hopkins which you know you can obviously do but there are at least ways avenues to make him a cheap stack even if he himself is the the qb1 we haven't even seen the the massive rushing yardage game like we haven't seen the 100 yards on the ground yet which we know is perfectly possible he is one of I mean, like almost only one, but I guess you could say maybe three or four guys who can go uh, 301 on any given week. The double bonus, the the fable double bonus, which I don't think anyone except like Lamar Jackson in a playoff game has done since uh, like draft become uh, a thing. But if you get that fable double bonus in any given game, he is going to score 45 points. So I still think there is a, a next level of upside. And we've seen him be the QB1 through two weeks, but I think there's a next level of upside that he hasn't even hit yet in any individual game. What about running back? I always end up paying down for running back because I get attracted to like the James White multiple receptions, especially in DK with the PPR. You know, but of course, last week, Derrick Henry, thank you very much, took care of that. Aaron Jones, of course, if you played the slate on Monday. What about running back this week, DFS? They priced Clyde Hilaire at, I believe, 48 or 4,900. Ah, uh, man. It's like, uh, you know, last year it was Sammy Watkins and Marquez Valdez scaling, two players who just continually saw, uh, you know, a bulk of the team snaps and saw some targets with just crushing quarterbacks. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers on the MVP, Terran Patrick Holmes, the best young quarterback uh, ever, maybe. I don't know. And uh, you just kept going back to the well. And they paid off, you know, Sammy Watkins probably in week one, I would assume, and Marquez Vadas scantling on an island game that wasn't even on a main slate. But you just kept going back to them because you know the upside is so there. Clyde Slayer feels like the Sammy Watkins of running backs, which is very fitting. So I, I guess I'm going back to Clyde Slayer. Just excited to lose money on him this week. Really looking forward to it. And I could see Andy Reid saying we have to get him going. Absolutely. Not not a fake we have to get him going like Bruce Arians at Ronald Jones, but an actual real one, Kyle, that we could use in, in week three. Wide receiver, such a critical position. You mentioned some guys who you can get for big value there late last year. Who do you like this week? Uh, I think they only priced up Rondo. DraftKings at least only priced up Rondo more uh, to like 5000 he is oh. just uh, like, oh, you know, $5,000. He looks like his team's second receiving option behind DeAndre Hopkins, just given what his ability to do stuff after the catches and given how exciting the offense is. We know they're going to pass a lot. We know they can play fast. We know, like, I, I don't, I'm not afraid of their defense. Chandler Jones had five sacks in week one, but they still have holes. They're still beatable. It's not like Pittsburgh where you can actually see an avenue, even though they're injured right now. 
uh, you know, you can see an avenue in which they hold their opponents to, you know, to 13 and win a 14-13 game. I at least think that Arizona should continue to participate in shootouts. Uh, you know, I'm going right back to Rondell Moore. We saw it like Christian Kirk, AJ Green weren't particularly popular in week two, which I thought was a little interesting given how obvious a spot it was for, uh, you know, especially Christian Kirk coming off the blow up game. I think we've gotten to the point in DFS where the previous week's massive performance isn't just going to be the massive chalk the next week. And I'm perfectly fine just buying into like, oh, what if Rondell Moore is really good? Who could have thought? So I, I think that's like the, the premier stack. I'm just going to keep playing Cardinals until, you know, the pricing forces me not to or ownership does. Like if they're super popular this week maybe i pivot but they're not in like the highest scoring game of the week so i think they continue to be uh like a tier two type of stack in terms of ownership i think the 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 premier stack also deandre hopkins perfectly fine in this conversation as well last one always tough to pick a tight end Uh, tj hawkinson should get maybe some suppressed value going against baltimore this week although i don't know if that's really the case after darren waller at 19 targets in week one where are you going at tight end um, yeah, for tight end, it's a, uh, it's a little less appealing, but Kyle Pitts, I'm just going to keep going back to him. I believe he's top five Started in targets. Going. He hasn't, uh, you know, he hasn't had this blow up game yet, but all we're looking for at tight end is volume. And I, I still think, you know, it's not the most exciting game, although man, they actually, this is a 48 and a half total, the Atlanta versus New York game. That's actually very interesting given that and Kyle, uh, it fits that narrative, a quarterback like Matt Ryan, who's a short dog. No one's taken Matt Ryan this week. He could have a cousins like game like he had from Arizona. Hell yeah. I've talked myself even into more Kyle Pitts. I was like, oh, Kyle Pitts seeing a lot of targets. I didn't realize this game was actually by Vegas projected to be uh, pretty exciting. You know, 48 and a half total is a, is a pretty good total. So I, I not only see this now as Kyle Pitts, but maybe some secondary stacks, you know, running back with Sterling Shepard or something. Kyle Dvorak, one of the nicest guys in the industry, and he does fantastic work. My last question, sir, give me a rest of season bold prediction. So you can go however you want to go with this. Rest of season, week three to week 17 now. What is the bold prediction you got you think is going to come true? Yeah, so through two weeks, we have seen the Dallas offense look just about as good as expected. They had, I think, some some sort of bad beats against the Chargers. That game could have been a shootout, and both teams stalled out in the red zone, had some turnovers. But CeeDee Lamb looks to at least be the one beat. Like, there's no no question that he is at least... Uh, you know, 50-50 in terms of the lead receiver on his team. And based on weighted opportunity, the mixed measure uh, of air yard share and target share, he's clearly, he's got, you know, a 0.73 whopper compared to Amari Cooper's 0.61. Now Amari Cooper dealing with bruised ribs. I think CeeDee Lamb, uh, you know, he crushes, uh, crushes, you know, I'm sure Amari Cooper's gonna have a good season, but I think he easily cruises past Amari Cooper en route to a top five fantasy season. Folks, Kyle Dvorak, all his great work can be found at NBC Edge Fantasy Football. Great guy, does fantastic work. One of the hardest workers, great work ethic you're going to find in the industry. Follow him on Twitter at Kyle Tweets here. Kyle, a pleasure having you on the bag. We have to make this an annual thing. I'm totally down to making an annual thing. Let's do it. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio and at randallrant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in.